All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have all of our Faith Church family here in Florence. Welcome. Can we show some love and welcome all of our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg, in the Shoals, everybody watching online. So good to have you guys. Thanks for tuning in, for being a part of the service. Come on, we say it every week that we believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe that if you open up your heart to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. Come on, I hope you've already know that's true. Come on, all of our campuses. Come on, can we give God some praise? Come on. Well, I just want to ask a question. I have one that kind of rides with me, and it's this question, what's in the box? Let's ask that together. One, two, three. What's in the box? That's a question of curiosity that hits me from time to time because at my house, probably much like your house, we get packages delivered from time to time. How many people have some Amazon packages, right, showing up on your doorstep or different places? And so we have an unspoken rule. I'm not sure like how it came in. Nobody ever wrote it down. Nobody ever agreed to it. But the rule at our house is if a package shows up and your name isn't on it, you don't open it. So I don't open Shauna's packages. She don't open mine. We have two daughters that no longer live at home and still have packages from time to time shipped our son. So we get packages on our doorstep regularly. And I'm just telling you, when a box shows up on our doorstep, I start asking the question, come on, what's the question? What's in the box? Anybody else have that question? And so I'll kind of, I'll kind of hover around until the box is open. Just find out what was spent, what was ordered. And uh, this, is, uh, this is true, I think, for a lot of us. We have this question, we see a box. In fact, there have been uh, social experiments in public where a group of people will take just a box and set it out in a public place where people pass by, and they'll just see how many people ask the question, what's in the box? And what they found out is about 65% of people will at least pay attention to the box, look at the box, kind of go the direction of the box. But up to 20% of people actually stop in a box that doesn't belong to them and open it up because everybody wants to know the answer to the question, what is it? What's in the box? Well, we've been having a conversation about another box for the last several weeks, this box known as the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, if you're new to church, if you're new to spiritual things, new to the Bible, was this box. It was four foot long, two foot wide, two foot high. And it was a box that God gave instructions to Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, to build this box out of wood, to cover it in gold. And this box was iconic. It really represented the presence of God to the nation of Israel. And as long as they had the box, everything was going to be okay. So the box led the way. When they marched into battle, everywhere they went, they had the box. And what we found out through the last several weeks is really what it meant, what it symbolized. And today, I want to kind of dig into, come on, because the ark, the word ark in the Bible means box. That's why this series is called The Box. And the definition of a box is a container. So I started asking myself a question. Hey, if every box has something in it, I want to know, like, come on, say it with me, one, two, three, what's in the box? So if the ark of the covenant is a box, and it's a box that God gave the nation of Israel, I just wanted to just check out today what's in the box. Now, before we dig in a little bit deeper, I just want to just acknowledge probably some of you in this room and you're like, pastor, I don't really care what's in the box. Because here's what I know is that a lot of times pastors stand up on platforms and give information to people that aren't asked, they're not asking those questions and that information is not helpful. And it's important for me as we dig into this, I just want you to know that I recognize like you don't care about a box that's 3,500 years old. It's not, you may not feel like it's relevant to you and Maybe you're here and you're wrestling with your kids or your marriage is in a bad place or you have an opportunity in front of you. You're like, Pastor, like this box, that's, that's great, but what does that have to do with me today? 
as I try to raise up the next generation of communicators in this church, one of the things that I try to put on them is the importance that, uh, that something is not powerful until it's practical. And so as we lean into this conversation, like I get it, you have needs, you have things going on in your life that you feel like the Ark of the Covenant isn't really relevant, but I want you to know it is because God told the nation of Israel to put some stuff in the box and what they put in the box 3,500 years ago, believe it or not, it is still powerful and it is still practical to your life. And so I want to encourage you to lean in as we ask the question, come on, one, two, three, what's in the box? The answer is found in the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews, right? He's writing about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the sacrifices, the priests, the law. And the answer to all of it is Jesus is better. Jesus is a better priest. Jesus is a better sacrifice. But in the middle of this conversation about the Old Testament, he tells us and he answers the question of what's in the box? He says this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 4. It says, inside of the ark were three things. Come on, I want us to read it together at all of our campuses. Inside of the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and number three, the stone tablets of the covenant. Now, here's what's crazy to me is... Um, my wife and I, we travel from time to time, probably like many of you, a lot of our church family, we're out traveling for the holiday. Man, we wish you guys the best. Be safe, have fun. Uh, if Jesus didn't do it, don't do it. <laughs> I'm just saying, just throw that out there. But when we travel, my wife and I, we are notorious overpackers. Like even if we go for a trip for one or two days, we're packing the big suitcase. Anybody with me? For all of you that travel like with a little travel, I don't know how you do it. You need to let me in on your secrets. Because we start thinking, man, it's going to get cold, so we'll pack three or four sweatshirts, and what if it's hot? We got four or five pairs of shorts, and we need stuff to match, so we take extra of everything, and we never wear the majority of what we take. But here's what we know is we can't take everything. So when you pack or when you travel, what you do is you try to get it down to the necessities. What are the important things to take along with you? Now, for me, it's really simple. Out of all the things I need to take, there's four things. Every time I travel, everywhere I go, I just get it. I try to get it to these four. If I forget anything else, as long as I have these four things, number one, clean underwear. Can you say underwear in church? I just did. Dirty underwear, that's a different conversation. You can say clean underwear. Number two thing I want to take with me everywhere I go, deodorant. Number three, a phone charger. Come on, somebody. And number four, a wallet, because if I got my wallet, I can buy anything else that I forgot, Right? Now, here's why that conversation is important, because you do the same thing. And you have to remember the nation of Israel, they were nomadic. They moved from spot to spot, location to location. And every time they moved, when they set up camp, they would set the tabernacle with this box, with the presence of God right in the middle of who they were, their culture, and what they did. And so God said, when you travel, there's some stuff you need to take with you. And so God could have said, take five things or take one thing, but God made sure they had three things in the box. Come on, what's the question we're asking? What's in the box? And so these three things I want to lean into. The first thing that God told the nation of Israel, hey, here's what I want you to take with you. Here's what's important. The first thing was, he said, I want you to take two quart bowl full of manna. Now, if you don't know what manna is, you're in for a shock. Kind of a cool story. Manna was, right, the nation of Israel, they were, some of you know this, they were slaves for 400 years. And God sends Moses to rescue them and to deliver them. And they leave Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. And at this point in their journey, they're only out of Egypt for 45 days, and they've eaten everything, all the Lunchables their moms packed, like it's all gone. 
Like they've eaten all the snack crackers. Like they're running out of food and they start to get the rumble bellies. And so they go to Moses. Hey, Moses, like, listen, we, we're hungry and we don't have anything to eat. In fact, Moses, I don't know if you know this, but when we were back in Egypt, we had plenty to eat. And so you brought us out of Egypt and now here we are, we're hungry. And some of you know the story. God goes to Moses on behalf of the people and God, and he prays and God does a miracle. The Bible says it began to rain. Everybody say rain. I'm talking about an Alabama hard rain manna. Every single morning they woke up and on the ground out around their tents was this bread cereal type substance. Come on, somebody. Listen, uh, no company came. DoorDash was God's idea. God was DoorDashing 3,500 years ago. Let's go. And they woke up every morning. And just side note, did you read the point, read the part where it said that, that he was supposed to put a bowl? How big? Two quarts? Like, that's my kind of guy. Anybody else here, when you eat like your Lucky Charms, Frosted Flakes, you eat it in a baker's bowl? Yeah. Next time your wife gives you a hard time for eating out of a baker's bowl, be like, Moses did it, it's biblical. <laughs> Come on. But they put this, watch, in the box, Exodus 16, 33 and 34, it says, Moses said to Aaron, Get a jar and fill it with two quarts of manna. Then put it in a sacred place before the Lord and preserve it for all future generations. And Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he eventually placed the Ark of the Covenant, he eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. Why did God tell him to put this bowl of manna? Because in the middle of their complaining, in the middle of looking back at Egypt and remembering that, hey, back in Egypt, we might've been slaves, but we weren't hungry. And I don't know if I can just be honest today, and I don't know how many people is willing to just be real people, not church people. I don't always like church people because church people sometimes are phony people. We're not willing to be honest. Hey, I struggle, I got issues, I got challenges. Anybody here ever go through a season in your life where you feel like you had more when you weren't serving God than when you are serving God? Anybody here ever feel like sometimes serving God, you have less than what you used to have? See, I knew y'all, this is church people. First, first service was real people. See, sometimes when you choose to follow God, what happens is God gives us a brand new framework to operate with. God gives us a new truth framework of how to love, how to treat people, how to make decisions, how to honor God. And with it comes this new ethic and this new morality. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where God's morality started to mess with my mojo. Like decisions I used to be able to make, now I can't make because I'm a Christ follower. Can I just talk real to some, some people who are dating in here, right? When you date in the world and you don't love God, you can date who you want, sleep with who you want, go with where you want. But when you decide to follow Jesus, anybody realize all of a sudden the pool of dating gets really small because you want to find somebody who loves Jesus the way you love Jesus. And they're trying to pressure you to sleep with them. And you would have slept with them before Jesus. But now you're like, no, I'm trying to do the right thing. Come on. And all of a sudden dating starts getting really complicated and the pool gets small. Why? Because you're following Jesus. Or when you got a business, you're trying to make a career happen before Jesus, you could cheat, fudge the line. You could stab your partner in the back. You could undercut somebody in order to get the contract. But now because you have ethics and morality as a Christ follower, all of a sudden business gets a little more complicated. Sometimes doing the right thing causes you to lose a contract. Come on, anybody feel like sometimes following Jesus, like you start to lose stuff instead of gain stuff? Come on here. What about relationships and conflict? What are your options when you're in conflict as a Christ follower? Turn the other cheek. Well, that's a limited option. Back in the day, you could punch somebody in the face. You could cuss them out. And I'll be honest, sometimes those felt good. Can I just get some real people in the house? And so here's what the nation of Israel is doing. They're standing there and they're looking back saying like, this whole come out of Egypt into the promise thing sounded great. 
But now we're out of Egypt and we have more to eat in Egypt than we have now. Like Moses, what's the deal? Let me just ask it another way. Anybody here honest enough or in Shoals honest enough or in Lawrenceburg, you're honest enough to say that there's some times and seasons you miss Egypt. You ever miss Egypt? See, if you ain't, if you ain't shaking your head yes, you've either been saved a really long time or you're lying to yourself. Because it's just a fact. There's this thing on the inside of us sometimes. Like the original cancel culture happened to me when I was in high school. When I made a decision to follow Jesus, I had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of friends until I decided to follow Jesus. And I got canceled quick and my circle got small. It felt like I had less. And that's what the enemy wants you to feel like is when you're going through a season of struggle, like it's not worth it to follow Jesus. That's why Moses said, no, keep the bowl of manna. Here's why you will always miss your old life when you don't realize how much God can bless your new life. I want you to know following Jesus is an incredible thing. If you'll give God the opportunity to do what he said he's going to do. See, here's the question you got to ask is why did it take God 45 days to come through with the goods? Why did he wait? Because God always knew they were going to get hungry. Jesus said that your heavenly father knows what you have need of. There's not a need you have in your life that God's not aware of. Not only does God know what you need, God's able to meet it. There is no need you have in your life, relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is no need you have in your life that the God we serve is not big enough to meet. And so the question is, if God knows and God can do it, why didn't God do it sooner? And here's why, because God's always going to require for you to come to him and ask. And so when the people of Israel reached this place where they realized they weren't sufficient to come up with the goods, they went to Moses and God came through. Jesus taught us this in the New Testament. Remember the prayer Jesus taught us to pray like these prayer principles as Christ followers? One of the lines in the Lord's prayer is this, give us this day, what? Come on, y'all say it all. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you know what Jesus was thinking about when he was thinking about every day getting daily bread? He was thinking about 1,500 years before he taught the principle that his heavenly father every single day, 24-7, 365, was providing food for the nation of Israel. And he said, if God did it then, God will do it now. And so don't forget that God is good. That's the point of having the manna is the same God who did it yesterday can do it today. Come on, we were just singing a song. He was a savior then and he's a savior now. He's a he then and he's a healer now. He was a provider then and he's a provider now. Come on, what Jesus is trying to teach us is you can count on God. He's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful now. Come on, everybody in this room, you've got some manna stories. Anybody here got a story in your life that God came through, God showed up, God was faithful, God opened a door, God met a need? If you got a story like that, I want you just to jump on your feet for about 15 seconds. Come on, let's give God some praise because he is good and he is faithful. Come on, somebody. Come on, if you got a story about a faithful God, then give him praise for being good. So what God is trying to get the people to understand is you're going to go through some seasons where you're going to start to question if God is good. And I want you to remember the manna in the box. I want you to remember the manna in the box. When you look back at the box, it's the fact of this. The manna was a reminder of what God has done. And if God did it in the past, God can do it again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't forget your testimony. It's part of what's in the box. What's the question we're answering today? Come on, one, two, three. What's in the box? First thing in the box was two quarts of manna. Second thing in the box is this staff that belonged to Aaron that budded. Crazy story, much like the first one. The nation of Israel, they come out and 
again, if you're new to the church, like the nation of Israel really was a conglomerate of 12 families. This guy by the name of Jacob, he had 12 sons. Each son became kind of a tribe and 12 tribes as they grew and multiplied, they became the nation of Israel. And so like a lot of times they started fighting for power. Who's in control? It's kind of like today, everybody wants authority. Nobody wants responsibility. Everybody wants authority. Everybody wants a title. Nobody wants responsibility. Vote people into office. They get the office. They don't do anything with it. So there's all this infighting in the nation. They wanted to know who's in charge. They wanted to know who were the point people between God and the rest of the nation. And so God gives Moses the answer how they can know who is the tribe or the family group that God decided is in charge. And so at that time, it was common, right? Walking in the wilderness, stony ground, it's kind of awkward. So people had walking sticks. They would have a stick that they would go find from a tree, something they would find, and they would hone it and they would craft it and they would clean it. So it was a nice, stable and strong walking stick. Used to be a living tree. Now it's a dead walking stick. And God says, I want you to go get a staff. I want you to go get a stick, one from each tribe. So bring me 12 sticks and I'm gonna show you by a miracle who's in charge. And so he takes the 12 staffs, Moses does, he walks them into where the ark is, lays them down on the ground, backs out and goes back in the next morning. And here's where the story picks up. In Numbers chapter 17, it says, when he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found Aaron's staff. Whose staff? Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. Y'all seem unimpressed. Maybe that happens a lot at your house. <laughs> when Moses brought all, all the staffs out of the Lord's presence, he showed them to the people. Each man claimed his own staff, 11 dead sticks and one stick that had bloomed and sprouted and blossomed and bore fruit. And the Lord said to Moses, come on, read this with me. Place Aaron's staff permanently before the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a warning to the rebels. It's, it's so, it's, it, there's so much I could say. This is such a large conversation we could have about everything that this represents. Here's what I want you to hear today. Is that God took a dead stick and when it was in his presence, it came back alive. Like, I know if, if you go out and you're cleaning brush, I hate cleaning brush, but you're breaking branches off and you go out and you break a branch off and like you stick it in the pile. And the next day you walk out and it sprouted a little, boop, like just a little, boop, like just a little thing. You'd be like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. I'm talking about like a two by four that was in a sawmill two years ago and it's dried out and you see a cherry two by four and you walk out in your garage, you're getting ready to make something kind of cool and crafty you found on Reddit or something on and you walk out and the, the dried dead cherry two by four has sprouted a limb, some leaves have popped off and there's a cherry on it. You pull it off and you go stick it on a Sunday. That's what God did is here's what I want you to hear is there is no area in your life that's so dead that God can't cause it to live again. We serve a God of the living and not the dead. The Bible says that it was an almond tree and like this thing was a dead staff and it came out of the presence of God and it had bloomed and blossomed and almonds came off. I just got you to know, man, like I'm on an almond milk kick lately. This has nothing to do with the message, but if you're looking to cut calories, regular milk, 130 calories. Almond milk, 30 calories. I don't know how you get almond milk. I don't know how to get it. 
Moses comes out with 11 dead sticks. And one stick that used to be a stick, life is gone from it. It now has sprouted. And what God is trying to teach the nation of Israel is that there's always going to be dead areas in our life. And when we trust the God who is alive, who is life, he is life. He is our living hope. When we turn to him again, there he can take any dead area in our life. And it doesn't matter how dead your marriage is, how dead your hope is, how dead your situation is. The resurrection and the life can cause it to bloom and blossom and live again. That's what he's trying to teach us. I find uh, some pretty fascinating things on TikTok. As you wade through the garbage, there's some pretty amazing videos. I saw this one pop up several times. I didn't know that, that you could do this. I'm not a botanist, didn't go to school to be a botanist. But you can take a branch that's off, it's no longer connected to anything living, and you can shave it down and you can find a tree and, and put a little divot in the tree. Anybody see this? And you can stick the branch that's dying and connect it back to a tree and tape it up. And that thing will connect and graft into the tree and it'll start. Have y'all seen this? Like it's, I'm amazed. And I want you to know really what God is trying to say is that you're the dead stick. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and our sin. See, the good news of God isn't that he makes bad people good people. It's that he makes dead people living people. God isn't just trying to change your behavior. He's trying to change who you are from the inside out. And when you come to the resurrection of life, what he does is he takes you who are dead. You are a dead stick and he grafts us into who he is. And all of a sudden we start to live again. Come on, somebody. He starts to give you life again and hope again and purpose and meaning and joy again. And so here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, yes, I am the vine. Come on. Who is Jesus? He's the vine. Who are you? You're just a branch. Jesus is the living vine. You and I were the dead branch. Come on, let's say it together. Who is Jesus? He's the living vine. Who are you? Dead branch. One more time, every campus. Who is Jesus? He's the living vine. Who are you? Dead branch. He said, I am the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What God is really trying to say is like, as we, as we stay connected to Jesus, he's saying, don't tap out too quick. Don't run from church too quick. Don't set down your Bible too quick. Don't cut off your relationship with God too quick. I know there's areas you're frustrated with. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like you just can't get your head above water? You've been stuck in the same cycle for a long time. You've been stuck in the same habit for a long time. Anybody here ever feel like you can't break free? What God is trying to tell you is if you will stay connected to Jesus and allow Jesus to stay connected to you, inevitably, because he is life, he will change who you are from the inside out. And inevitably you will begin to bear fruit, which means you're going to begin to demonstrate who you are in Jesus, that he has changed you and transformed you and made you who he's created you and called you to be. Come on, somebody, anybody that's connected to God, you can live again. So what's in the box? The bowl of manna was a reminder of what God has done. It's hope. As you look back at God's faithfulness, it gives you hope for the future. It's a staff that had budded. The staff was a reminder of what God can do. No matter how dead you are, dead your situation, if you will stay connected to him, he can bring you life again. Third thing, what's in the box? What's in the box? Third thing was in the box was the law, was these tablets that God had given Moses. He goes up on the mountain. Some of you guys remember the story? He comes out and right away, Moses needs to know, like, what does it look like to live for God? 
What does it look like to worship God? And so he goes up on this mountain and he has this connection with God for 40 days, 40 days. And the people start freaking out. It's kind of like when the teacher leaves the room and all the students go crazy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? None, some of you didn't do it. You love Jesus. The rest of you, we're glad you found Jesus. And so teacher leaves the room, Moses leaves, people go bananas. They take all of their gold, make it into a golden calf, and they start to worship this calf because that's what the Egyptians did. Again, when you're in a culture, you begin to become like the culture you're in. And so they're used to worshiping false gods, false idols. And so while Moses is up on the hill, he's having a conversation. God gives Moses the tablets of the law, what it is to worship God. What does it look like? And God engraves with his finger. This is so awesome. He takes a stone and engraves with his finger God's word for his people. And where it's oftentimes in scripture, it's not just known as the word of God. Sometimes it's known as his testimony. Everybody say his testimony. And so here comes Moses. He's descending down the mountain. He's holding these stone tablets. He's getting a workout on one arm. He keeps switching because he don't want to overbalance on one side or the other. He's carrying these tablets down and he gets down to the bottom of the hill and he sees the nation of Israel worshiping a false God. And he gets so mad, he throws the stone tablets and breaks them. Have you ever lost your temper out in public and broke your testimony? Come on, somebody. I want you to know that God can restore that testimony. He goes, he goes back up top and I can imagine God's like, yo, man, you was just here like a day ago. He's like, I broke the tablets. He's like, you broke the, I just gave them to you. And God gives Moses the tablets 2.0. Except this time, God doesn't engrave them with his finger. God makes Moses engrave them. And he takes the tablets back down the mountain. And the tablets are the God's word. And he gets there and he says this in Exodus chapter 25, verse 16, he says, when the ark is finished, everybody read it with me, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I'll give you. We live in a society and we live in a culture that is full of philosophies and ideologies and ideas and opinions. And you can talk to lots of different people and get lots of different answers on whatever given subject you want to have a conversation on. And they will often vary. And we need a place that we can turn to where we can find truth that doesn't change. Right. We hear what politicians say and we hear what sociologists have to say. But we have to go to a place where truth doesn't change. Who is God? Well, if you ask this world, they'll tell you who he is or who she is or who they are. But where can you go to where you can find out who is the God of creation? Who is the God who made you? Who are you really and why are you here? What is the purpose and the meaning of life? How do you handle money? How do you navigate relationships? How do you deal with emotions that are out of control? Because God's word answers all of that. You can go to Amazon. You can go through and some of you know this. You can click through your options. If you go to the book section and you can just click just nonfiction. There are literally millions of books on Amazon that answer all your questions, how to manage money, how to open businesses, how to deal with relationships, on and on and on. And those are all opinions. And those opinions will change and vary from book to book, 
writer to writer, author to author, but there is one place that you can turn to His truth never changes. It is eternal and it is always helpful. And the Bible says, if you will build your life on His truth, when the winds blow and the storms come in and everybody else is crashing down around you, your life is gonna be stable and fixed because you build it on the foundation of God's word. What God is saying with the tablets in the boxes, you can always count on God. Don't forget His word. Here's what the nation of Israel heard just as they were leaving the wilderness, getting ready to go on the promised land. God had passed the baton from Moses to Joshua. And here's what he said going in Joshua chapter seven. Everybody here, read this with me. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Come on, every voice. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Anybody here want to be successful? Anybody here want to be successful in relationships, successful in money, successful in navigating emotions? Anybody here want to be successful in a relationship with God, relationship with your kids, relationship with your spouse? Anybody here want success? He's saying this is how you get it. He says, we neither turn to the right or the left, then you'll be successful in everything. Everybody say everything. Everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then you'll prosper and succeed in all you do. What's in the box? Out of everything that God could have told Moses to put in the box, he said, I want you to put something in it that reminds you that you can count on me, that I'm faithful, that I've been good in your past and I'll be good in your future, that I've handled things you couldn't handle and I'll keep on handling them. God says, I want you to put something in the box that reminds you what I can do, that with me, with God, all things are possible. There's no situation, no challenge, no issue, nothing you're going to face that God in his strength, his power and his authority, he can't overcome in your life. And he says, I want you to put a reminder, the stone tablets for a reminder of what God has said. I don't want you to forget my word. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget who I said you are. Don't forget what our mission is. Don't forget what your calling is. Remember what I said. He says, you'll hang on to these things. You'll take those three things with you. It'll be the thing that changes your life. See, the reason the box doesn't matter is because it is 3,500 years old. Nobody even knows where it is. There's debates. Was the box, was it destroyed when the Babylonians went in in 586 BC and destroyed the temple? Probably. I'm still holding out hope that they're going to find it on Oak Island. Either that or another nail. But anyways... Paul said this, that God doesn't dwell in the temple made with the hands of men. God dwells in you. You're the box. You're the box. And you better carry something with you that reminds you your God is faithful. Maybe you didn't have manna show up on your front lawn, but you have your own story. I have my own story of how God's been faithful. You may not have a staff that budded and blossomed and bloomed. You're the stick. You were dead and you came to Jesus and he gave you the gift of eternal life. And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And in this world of opinions and ideologies, there's a place you can turn to 
where you can navigate, not a truth, not some truth, but the truth, where you can place your hope and you can get your answers. It's in the Word of God. But you know, it's funny because there's someone else who wants to know what's in the box. Jesus, he said this in all the things he wants you to carry inside of you. He said, I've come to give you life and life to its fullest. And if you'll have a testimony, and if you'll carry the word, if you'll know what God can do, that's where life's at. But you know what else he talked about? He talked about our spiritual enemy, the devil. And you know who the enemy is? He's a porch pirate. You know what a porch pirate is, don't you? Porch pirates are these people that troll your neighborhood and they'll follow the UPS truck and they'll see the UPS truck drop a box off in your front porch. And when the truck pulls away, the porch pirate goes up because they're curious too what's in the box. Come on, the devil's a porch pirate because he wants to steal what's on the inside of you. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to destroy your hope. We live in a hopeless world, but we have Jesus, our living hope. We have a world that doesn't know. I don't know what the market's gonna do. I don't know what Russia's gonna do. Is China gonna invade Taiwan? Where's this hyperinflation going? I don't know the answers to any of that, but I got the answer to all that. His name is Jesus and my hope is in him, not this world. But the enemy wants to steal your hope. And he wants to kill your life. The thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. Jesus came to give life. The enemy wants to kill. Now I don't have time to show you one more scripture, but the thief comes to steal. Remember the third thing in the box? It's God's word. Jesus tells a story and he says, he says, the way life change happens, it's like a farmer who takes a bag full of seed and he goes out into his field and he starts to plant the seed, he spreads the seed and the seed gets in the soil and the soil blossoms out like it's produce and like, and the disciples are listening to this like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, sometimes birds come and go down and snatch the seed up. And the disciples are looking at Jesus like you're looking at me like, and what are you trying to say, Jesus? And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. Because the same way a farmer goes out and tries to stick seed in the ground to bring forth a harvest, remember the almonds? He said, the birds of the air come and try to snatch the seed up. He said this, this is the interpretation. This is the meaning of the parable. Everybody here read this with me. Here's what Jesus said. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is, and the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and, come on, he's a thief. The devil comes, the porch pirate comes and takes away what's in the box from their hearts to prevent them from believing and being saved. Some of you will get to Lawrence Burke show. Have you ever been in church and you sat in a service like this and it felt like God was speaking so clearly? Have you ever sat? And I'm not saying it because it's me, but maybe it was at a different church and it felt like the pastor was with you that morning. Felt like you, God knew exactly where you were at and you got a revelation of God or you got an understanding and you walked out and then you started saying, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe I can't count on God. Maybe I can't count on God to bring me life. Maybe I can't count on God to be good again. You know what that's happened? What's going on is the enemy's trying to come and snatch that seed of hope, snatch that seed of life, snatch that seed of truth. And see, so you got a choice. You're the box. God says, everywhere you go, hold on to something that reminds you I'm faithful. 
Hold on to something that reminds you, I can do anything. I can bring life even where something's already been dead. And hold on to my word in a world of confusion and opinion. Don't forget what I said, because that's where you'll have success. And the enemy's gonna come and man, he's gonna wanna steal the box. He's gonna wanna get in and loot the contents. But if you'll hang on and you'll hold on, I'll get you out of the wilderness and I'll get you to the promised land. And in a world that we live, we need to get out of the wilderness and we need to get in the promised land. So Father, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, will you help in these closing moments for all of us, God, to know there's some things you want us to hang on to. There are some things you want us to take with us in our spiritual journey and in our relationship with you. I pray every single person that's hearing this message, I pray God would quickly be reminded of a place in their past where you have been faithful. And Lord, we will hang on to that testimony and know that you're the same God. And we we counted on you then and we can count on you today. I pray we would remember that we we weren't bad people. We were dead people, dead in our sin. And you came and you gave us the gift of eternal life. And if you did that, you could do anything. Father, we would be people that hang on to, hold on to, and lean into the Word of God. Father, I pray we wouldn't yield an inch to the enemy that wants to be the porch pirate in our lives. What's in the box? Everything we need. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Listen, one more prayer. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, it's the greatest decision you can make, and it's a decision everyone needs to make. Your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your grandpa, your pastor can't make it for you. The Bible says that Jesus came, born of a perversion. He lived a perfect life and he died a sacrificial death. Jesus didn't deserve death. We did because we sinned. He didn't. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death and he rose victorious from the grave. Three days after Jesus died, he walked out of a tomb alive. And because he lives, you get to live too if you put your faith in Jesus. And so I just want a prayer, close in a prayer. If you're here, you've never given your life to Christ. You've never surrendered your heart to him. You're watching this at one of our campuses. You're online. It's the greatest decision you will ever make. And I'm gonna lead in a really simple prayer. If you wanna give your life to Christ or recommit your heart to the Lord, you're backslidden and you're away from man. Today, you can walk out forever changed. You can pray your own prayer, but if you're not sure what to say, you can just say this. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you came and you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live and you died a death that I deserve to die to give me life so I could have a living relationship with you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and save me and help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen.